Hello and welcome to ChimeCast. From emerging issues to new innovations, ChimeCast channel brings you the digital health leaders and business executives from around the globe who are making an impact on the way we transform health and care. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast and the president and CEO of Chime, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. We continue to live and evolve through these challenging times for healthcare professionals, their industry partners, and the people we serve. Leaders across the industry have proven their talent and determination as they innovate and transform their organizations to meet the moment and shape the future. We're proud to know those leaders and support them here at Chime. Today, we welcome a leading voice in workplace well-being and employee happiness. This leader specializes in future-focused leadership development, expertly balancing employee well-being with performance. As an award-winning writer and internationally acclaimed keynote speaker, she specializes in transforming workplace culture using data-driven leadership strategies. Her latest book, The Burnout Epidemic, tackles employee burnout and was among the 10 best new management books by the 2022 Thinkers 50. I am so pleased to welcome into our podcast booth a true industry influencer and soon-to-be keynote headliner at the Chime 23 Fall Forum, Jennifer Moss. Jennifer, welcome to the program. It's so great to be here with you, Russ, before we're going to actually be with everyone else in person. And I'm I'm just so glad that we're getting this opportunity to talk about such an important topic. Well, I'm not allowed to play favorites at all these different events, and this is probably my 30th Chime Fall Forum. But I tell you, I'm so looking forward to hearing you speak and interact with our members. This, this issue of workplace burnout and individual stress and anxiety is something I hear about every single day. Uh, I talk to our members and our and our professionals in our industry. I just got off the phone with somebody over in Europe, and the first conversation was about workplace stress and seeing people resigning. I, I just, I really, truly am so excited to hear you uh, be one of our keynote speakers at the Fall Forum. This, this is so critical, whether it be, as I said, workplace stress, or actually, more importantly, how to create an environment that's healthier, happier, high-performing, but also getting our personal lives in order. Tell me just a little bit about what we should expect. Uh, uh, I know I built you up here a lot, but I I really (laughs) hope this is going to be profound for our members. What are we going to see in the fall forum and here? Well, you know, what's so important is for us to have a well, happy, healthy experience of work. And yet, So few of us are having that experience right now. We're seeing the highest disengagement in decades. Um, Burnout data I just received is still at peak levels. You know, people are, are desiring, they have this appetite to kind of stop feeling burned out about burnout. They want to, you know, get back and feel that kind of mojo back in, in their experience of work. But when you've gone through a state of chronic stress like this, it's very difficult. And so my goal is to really level set what burnout is and and make sure people understand what the definition is, because so much that gets put at us and, and you know, the, the cures for burnout tend to be really individually focused, but we need to think more broadly about where the institutional stresses and the things that we can't control. And that's, that's sort of my job is to say, okay, this is where we're at. This is what it looks like. This is what burnout looks like in others. So we can support them. And then here are the strategies for us to, to control the controllables, what we can do and what we can also do as leaders to build a culture of burnout prevention. 
Well, it, it's interesting. We just came out of uh, possibly the worst worldwide pandemic ever. And we talk about things like opioids as an epidemic. But if you look at mental health as, as possibly, whether you use pandemic, epidemic, or just a national issue or an actually world issue, it's, it's pretty amazing when you look at the numbers. CDC said 40% of all Americans have reported struggling with mental health. Of those, 60% don't get care. I'll just tell you, having traveled the world, the U.S. does not handle behavioral health really well. We forget the fact that we're holistic beings, to say the least. I mean, what do you think leaders in this country, particularly leaders like ours that work in healthcare, even though it's technology, should be doing to deal with some of these stigmas of mental health and, and reshape the conversations to make it a positive way to, to deal with these issues in our culture? This is so unsettling for me. I've I've seen this um, conversation around mental health and how it's being addressed at work, you know, failing, unfortunately, for a long time. One of the byproducts of the pandemic may be that we're having more conversations about them, but we're not necessarily, you know, seeing it improving at all and and that can be a byproduct of byproduct of being in this poly crisis state i mean we're dealing with so much constant you know threats to our own well-being and it's not just you know a healthcare crisis that we went through there's so many other things going on so you know we're trying to get healthy and then some other thing comes at us and in the workplace I, you know i've been having lots of conversations with leaders about where their barrier is between how they support people and how they're feeling. One of them is that, you know, managers and leaders are also burned out and also stressed. And so they're detaching, they're, you know, they're, they're empathically distressed and that's making it hard for them not to, you know, feel like everything that they're doing is failing, that they're losing their confidence in supporting their people. There's also this barrier to, I'm not a mental health professional. How do I help my people be able to deal with some of these, you know, states of crises? And so that's another thing that I share is how do you be a mental health conduit? How do you actually, you know, be able to guide someone by saying, I am not the person that you might need as a professional, but I can guide you to those places where I know, because I've spent the time learning learning my EAPs. I've spent the time learning what is the programming that's available. What is in your, you know, if we're, we're disparate locations, what is in your local community that can support you? And so that's something that, you know, I'm trying to change is these small incremental steps so that managers and leaders feel more comfortable in supporting versus worrying that they are going to, you know, fail that person that's coming to them in crisis. Well, I don't know, at least in my world, in the world of healthcare, I don't know if a day goes by, I don't see some headline, some story about physician and nurse burnout, but I think it's really the, the healthcare industry at a macro level as we talk about staffing shortages, economic issues, so many things around the healthcare space that really do present huge challenges for our leaders, especially our leaders leading technology and information management and it's just one of those things that that it's almost like burnout is becoming contagious for us, that we're all catching it for each other. And what are some of the effective strategies, you think, to actually combat burnout? Well, I don't want to give everything away because I want them to come yes. to the fall forum and hear you. <laughs> right. But what's yeah. a couple yeah. of things that maybe if there's listeners to our podcast that won't be at the fall forum, a couple of things that they really should be focusing on to, to as an individual, maybe as, a, as, as an organizational level? 
You know, this is a great question and I go into it obviously a little bit more uh, in depth in our conversation that I'm going to have with the people in the audience there. But, you know, it's important first to just understand what burnout is. And it has been defined as institutional or workplace stress left unmanaged. And so when researchers in the World Health Organization and the International Labor Organization decided to make that distinction, it was so that we could start to create policy around that conversation. Again, moving away from those downstream kind of pull people out of the river uh, types of strategies versus maybe help them from falling in in the first place. So we have to look at that first as labeling it and saying what could be within, you know, my kind of institutional stressors that are playing a role. We see that in, you know, discriminatory behaviors, workload, a lack of community. So that loneliness and isolation piece, we see that in a values mismatch. Are we in the roles that we're supposed to be? You know, I'm, I'm a, now all of a sudden I'm a people leader and I never really wanted to be, and it's not a fit. These are the kinds of root causes of burnout. And so they can be preventable if we can label them. And then it's also just identifying what are the signs? There's three major signs of burnout. They are exhaustion and depletion where it's not just I'm tired. It's I don't, you know, feel like I can even make dinner tonight or I haven't seen my friends in months, you know, that kind of level of depletion. It's lack of professional efficacy. So this feeling that you're not good at your job anymore. It, it's an underperformer myth. You used to be incredibly successful and passionate and excited to be at work. And then all of a sudden you're making mistakes. You're, you know, you're, you're missing deadlines. You're not having you know, uh, stable conversations with people in your, you know, your peers or your coworkers, that's that professional efficacy that's lacking. And so you think, well, I'm just, you know, I lost confidence in my abilities and then it's cynicism. So you start to use language that's very permanent, like always and never, it's always going to be like this. It's never going to change lots of I statements. I am, you know, all alone in this. I have no support. These are the, you know, kinds of symptoms, these three major symptoms that if we notice them in ourselves and others, we can get ahead of it. Because when you look at a burnout, the sort of the cycle of burnout, according to researchers and data, we see it's like an 18 month to two year process of just these tiny little pebbles, I call them these pebbles that just over time turn into boulders. And if we can manage the pebbles, then we don't get to a point where we hit that wall, where we fall off that cliff. And that's what we want to be able to prevent it ourselves, but then also be able to support in the people that are working around us. And we talked about this workplace shortage of, of, of people that we're seeing. And, and unfortunately, all the statistics are saying it's going to get worse. Um, as you look at the boomers continuing to retire, I think the latest statistics are somewhere in the next three to five years, 18 to 15% of the U.S. workforce and these numbers hold true for other countries like Japan and UK and several others are going to retire and move out to either semi-employed, meaning they'll work part-time or just not employed at all anymore and enjoy their retirement. That's going to place a huge workload burden on our industry, specifically in healthcare, because that means more people are going to be using healthcare, but less people there to provide that work for us. And as you deal with so many different variables, as you're working with people right now, we're all on Zoom, we're isolated, the things you were mentioning there as we move forward, how do we engage our, our teams, our, our leaders, our, our people to really think about 
this age of, and I hate the terminology being used, things like um, the, the quiet resignation and rage applying and future work trends of, of lack of work and automation. How do we engage them to, to change the dialogue to be positive and create an environment where they can thrive instead of just feel like maybe day-to-day survive? I love that question because it's a it's something actually that I, I was just kind of looking in the research yesterday because I'm adding this part to the book around how we used to see more returnment and there was a, an environment where people wanted to go back to work. But what we're seeing is more early retirement. We saw millions, over 40 million retirees leave the workforce early um, just in the last few years. And when you look at Gen Zs, they're going to make up 30% of our workforce in the next few years. And they aren't, you know, the best at really knowing what is available to them from supports. They have a different attitude around, you know, they, they have a sort of, I should say like they have a more open attitude to getting help, but they're actually the most burned out and unhappy generation that we're seeing right now. So, you know, if that's going to be 30% of our workforce in the next few years, I mean, that is very concerning and that we're losing a lot of that incredibly, you know, important talent talent and wisdom from our workforces. And so we do need to have a better conversation around how are we going to have compassionate integration, for example, you know, how do we think about you know, wholesale adopting AI just because we're being told that, you know, we're going to be left behind if we don't adopt AI. Well, what if your entire workforce is then feeling uh, overwhelm and a state of obsolescence, which means that they're going to be less healthy and it's not going to be sustainable and you're going to become obsolete. So from a, you know, business strategy standpoint, we need to be encouraging leaders to say, you know, let's take a pause on everything that we're we're doing right now. And I know that's terrifying for leaders because we've acted like business as usual for the last three years, even though it has been nothing, you know, like business as usual. Um, there's still been these high expectations. We doubled our productivity in 2020 in the hardest years of, you know, recent history. And so I keep pushing, you know, leaders to just take a pause and assess how do I really want to move into this future of work? Do I want it to be sustainable? Do I still want to make sure that the human beings that I'm working with, you know, feel their best and are thriving and are excited at work? And we do that first by making sure that the hygiene within our organizations is healthy and stable. Those are the the basics, you know, making sure that there's pay equity, making sure that people are dealing with discrimination, making sure that people feel psychologically safe, the basic underpinnings to hygiene. And then when you do that, and I have some really great examples that I share in the talk of organizations doing that, but what we've seen is just some real solid few years of working on hygiene. Then you can see this incredible shift to people thriving and they are getting the their basic needs met. If you look at, you know, Maslow's, it's not a, you know, it's not a triangle or a pyramid. It's, it is, you know, just these stages that we say what we need at our, um, you know, bare minimum. When you face your collective mortality for several years, you go into survival mode for a long time. We need to get people out of that state of fight or flight and get them into a place where they're open to change, open to, to trusting people. And that takes time. And this is not a silver bullet solution. It's just a, 
an effort in practicing the basics, the hierarchy of needs first rung, and then we move towards optimization. Well, our time is just about done, but I got two really quick throw them at you questions here. What is one thing that everybody should be doing right now just to remove a little bit of stress? Something really simple that we all could be doing right now that just take a little bit of stress out of our lives. This is such a great question. One of the things that I do is I created a deathbed regrets (laughs) schematic, and it sounds pretty morbid, but it works for me. I really follow the 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 concept of the only people that are going to care that you've worked on weekends and evenings will be your, you know in 20 years will be your family. And so I, I I people that are high performing tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves and they don't realize that we need to set boundaries too and barriers and get productive rest. So I say take a frivolous 15 every single day and step out and do something completely non-essential, whatever it is, it's going to give you 15 minutes of, of joy, whatever that looks like. And then make sure that you share it because we need to model as leaders so that employees can be what they can see. And we tell them on Slack or we share whatever tools or we pop by someone's desk and say, I'm going to take 15 minutes and put my feet in the grass, or I'm going to take 15 minutes that is just about me so that it becomes normalized. And then everyone else starts to feel like they can participate and we create a contagion effect of healthy behaviors. Wow. That, I, I think we may have to adopt that at Chime today. So we'll <laughs> see if we can make it happen. Hey, last question for you is, obviously you are a leader in this space. How do you personally, what's one thing you do to recharge your batteries? Well, one of the things that I do again, is I look at when I'm saying yes to something and I have that privilege, not everyone does have that privilege of being able to say no to the things that they're being asked to do. But I, I do find that again, like high performing people end up having this mindset of um, toxic productivity. And so I question when I am agreeing to something or anything in my life, is this going to be something that I'm going to regret? Does it take me away from my kids? Does it take me away from the things that make me joyful? Looking a little bit downstream to what is the goal of our whole lives And it makes it easier for me to prioritize and make decisions. And one of the things I also do about managing workload, I don't say I have a bunch of things to do today. I'll say right at the start of the day, I have four things that I'm going to do today and make it reasonable. And then if I hit the fifth or sixth, then it's a win. But create these reasonable expectations of yourself, because if you constantly don't you know, hit the bunch of things that you have to do, which would be every day because that's a nebulous definition. But what we do is we give ourselves the ability to celebrate when we hit our goals in very tiny incremental ways. So even if it's just one thing and that's what you start with, say, I'm going to do one thing today and uh, everything else above that is a bonus. Well, I I think this was actually set up by our team to be a personal counseling session for me today, Jennifer. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, I do want to say thank you so much for being on the program today. But just as important, I cannot wait for our fall forum here in a few weeks where we get to hear from you and so much more of what you're an expert at. Uh, We'll be in sunny and warm Phoenix. I know that'll be a bit of a change for you. So hopefully that'll be nice for you. But again, I can't wait to have you at our fall forum. And thank you again for being on our program today. Thanks so much, Russ. It was great chatting with you. Hey, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of ChimeCast. As always, you can visit us on our website, chimecentral.org forward slash media or on Spotify to listen to this 
and all these amazing leaders. Continue to innovate, transform, and create positive change to advance and improve health and care throughout the communities you serve. But for now, stay safe and God bless.